Welcome to Subject to Change with Stephen Lentz. I interview business owners and execs and take a look at who they are, what they do, and where they come from. There's no script. We talk about our businesses, passions, and anything else we want to. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Subject to Change. I'm Stephen Lentz, and today I'm talking with Kevin Roth, life coach, author, and internationally known musician. How are you, Kevin? I'm good, Steve. Good to be with you. Oh, pleasure, man. I don't know why I wanted to like butcher the name Kevin, but it just like I had a hard time pronouncing it all of a sudden. And it's well, I I prefer my middle name Adam, but you know I got to go. If I had been a girl, they told me my name would have been Penny Sue. So Kevin's pretty good. <laughs> oh wow! So do you normally go by Adam then for other no. people that talk to you, or but you prefer Adam? No, I go for Kevin. Okay. <laughs> oh, only because of my recording career it's you know it's under kevin roth so i just stick there gotcha so from the notoriety so we had talked previously and i say this all the time now but we've had lots of conversations pre-recording what was your intro and in beginning into becoming internationally known as a musician well i played i found the dulcimer mountain dulcimer when i was 13 and I really loved it. And I kind of had a feeling that that would be my magic carpet ride into fame and fortune. And I was kind of right because at 15, I got my first record deal with Folkway Records on the Smithsonian label. Well, it's now part of the Smithsonian, it wasn't back then. So I became really well known in the dulcimer world as an innovative dulcimer player. Um, I didn't listen to traditional dulcimer music. And then I got into kids' music as a fluke and sang the theme to PBS. Shining Time Station. Uh, and then I just became kind of like really known because that had millions of fans, you know? And oh, that's awesome. But really quick, back up there. When you're preteen teen, you picked up the dulcimer. How did you even find out about the dulcimer? Like, I, I was familiar with like trumpet, piano, guitar, <laughs> the yeah. staples of welcome to grade school, pick an instrument. How did you get to the dulcimer? <laughs> I feel like that's not normal. Well, I went. Oddly enough, to a meditation gathering when I was 13, because I was a huge Joni Mitchell fan. And there was a guy I know who was into meditation. And he said, there's this girl there who looks and sounds like Joni Mitchell. So I was all in. And when I went there, she was up in the kitchen playing the dulcimer. And she didn't really look or sound like Joni Mitchell. But uh, she's still a really close friend of mine, I think, 51 years now. Oh, wow. Or not, yeah. And she played the dulcimer. So did you play instruments before that or you just saw her and was like, hey, that's really cool. I'm going to learn this. I played the piano here since I was about three or four. Oh, wow. Do you still play other instruments other than dulcimer or did you kind of just drop everything and go straight into it? I pretty much just kept playing the piano and dulcimer. Yeah, mostly dulcimer. Interesting. So, and I mean, we again, we talked about this previously but you went hard into music and performances and stuff and it sounds like though your roots started in folk and meditation and kind of more of a bohemian lifestyle what was kind of the pull away from that into fame like as well as how did you get back into more of that spirituality lifestyle well, I think as an artist, I was always born spiritual. I had a lot of precognitive experiences and I always kind of wondered where did the music come from and why doesn't the moon fall into the earth? And 
they say that the, the universe is expanding, but into what, you know? So I was asking those kind of questions really young. And I was listening to people like Peter, Paul, Mary, and Joni Mitchell, where my generation of kids were listening to the Rolling Stones. So I was always a pride, kind of like a deep thinker. And, but there isn't much of a money uh, making endeavor in folk music, unless you're Peter, Paul, and Mary, right? <laughs> So I got lucky just by kind of discovering that there was a, a business in children's music. And um, I became known in that. And then when I sang uh, the theme to Shining Time Station on PBS, then all the big guys who turned me down because I wasn't, quote, good enough, then wanted me to sign Sony Records, Random House. And I did licensing deals because I owned my own record company at that point. I started my own label and then I started to make a lot of money. People were paying me like thousands to sing Twinkle Twinkle <laughs> Little Star. So I felt musically demoted. So like, like I say in my book, you know, I had a lot of zeros in my checking account, but a big fat zero in my heart because I didn't want to be known for singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I wanted to be, you know, uh, I wanted to be Joni Mitchell, but that wasn't where the, the money trail was leading. Sure. So after the success of all of that, um, and I got rich for a while, I quit. And um, then I gradually got back into doing the kind of music I, I wanted to do. Now, I always loved writing and recording for kids. It was the, the performing and the touring and all the hard stuff that I, I never really liked. I, I didn't have kids of my own, so I didn't really relate a lot to it. But generations have grown up listening <laughs> To my music, I feel as old as Burl Ives. You know, it's like I'm not that old, but I started really. <laughs> yeah. The there's like five different things in there that I would, that really caught my attention. One was the precognitive, like episodes mm -hmm. or premonitions, and I've done very minimal research of like remote viewing and Silva method and stuff like that. Is that similar to that or what, what does precognitive mean to you and how did you experience that? Well, precognitive is not quite like psychic, but I saw sort of like, you know, when you go to a movie theater and you see previews of coming attractions, mm -hmm. that's exactly what I experienced and still experience to this day. You know, like I was sitting at a traffic light a couple of weeks ago and the, the light, I, it was right near where I live. And this whole place felt like it was in the past, which said, oh, my God, I must be moving. And now, actually, I have um, supposed to be moving in a couple of months, uh, but I hadn't thought about it at that point. So um, there is a theory, you know, Roger Ebert, the famous movie director. Um, he, right before he died, he told his wife, uh, Chaz, I forget the exact quote, but it, it's in my book, but he says that life is a big hoax, that th there's this amazing, amazing thing going on where the past, the present, and the future are all happening at the same time. So I, as a young kid, just kind of saw my future in three different phases, you know, which I talk about in, in length in the book. But the first phase was I would have a rough childhood, which I did, you know. Um, ADD, my mom died, I hated school, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged on the planet, didn't know where I belonged. The second phase was a little more encouraging, you're going to be really successful, you're going to make a lot of money, but you're still going to be kind of miserable, which happened. 
And then the third phase is it's all going to come together and you're going to be happy. You'll probably live in California. You're going to become sort of a, a teacher of uh, something. And, um, you know, you're going to be, uh, you know, hopping down the yellow brick road happy. And all of that's occurred. And this career that you and I are now talking about as, as a, a life coach or a teacher is I'm at the most joyful uh, part in my life, you know. Plus, I get to talk to cool guys like you. No, too kind. Flattery, flattery doesn't butter this biscuit, Kevin. It's... <laughs> <laughs> no, appreciate that. But going back again, like I, I love a good origin story and kind of finding out kind of the process. And I know that sometimes, right, we get younger listeners. How how young were you when you had that? Like, hey, I'm going to have a rough childhood. And how did you like as that was happening, kind of deal with that and not slip into depression or suicidal ideations or any of those types of things being like, wow, life sucks. Because for a lot of people, sometimes we go through patches where life is really sucky and having like a premonition being like, hey, life's going to suck. Like, I feel like, was that harder for you? Or is it just kind of like, yeah, it's going to be bad, but there's good stuff coming and kind of help you through that way. So I was around five, as I recall the earliest thing. And I always felt like I didn't belong here. Um, so I don't want to <laughs> sound like I'm pissing in my own boots, but I think life sucked up to around uh, my 60s. Not continually. I mean, I had moments, but I was always searching my entire life for something. And what that ended up being was sort of like the spiritual bohemian awareness that this body, Kevin Roth, is not the whole deal. You know, it, it just isn't. And I discovered that. But I thought that what I was searching was for fame and fortune, because I figured that if you were rich and you're famous, you were happy. And there were times I were. I mean, you know, I had a lot of, you know, you know fun times in my life. But overall, you know, if someone said on a scale of one to 10, you know, how happy was your life up until you got melanoma? I would say eh, right in between the six and the seven, maybe. You know, I don't think that's incredibly happy, uh, but I think a lot of people feel like that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, six and seven probably seems high for, for a lot of people as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was never suicidal. And the sure. reason I think that is, is because music saved me. I always had my music to go to, you know, the dulcimer was very healing and being a songwriter and having success as a recording artist uh, gave me a focus. It's like, I had a career. A lot of guys end up just playing bars and they're happy with that and getting gigs. You know, I had a career. It was like amazing at 15. No, that is, that's phenomenal. So, and you'd mentioned you're happier now than you've ever been. Yeah. So what, what are you finding fulfillment in now that you've moved away from the performing and the fame and all that stuff? Well, so like I say in the book, there's nothing like a death sentence to wake you up. Um, so we haven't gotten there, but uh, in 2015, totally out of the blue, completely stressed out, I discovered that I had stage three melanoma, um, just on a routine dermatology appointment. And by the way, I suggest everyone get checked by dermatologists because melanoma is, is a big deal and it, and it can be caught early. So they said that even though they removed the two spots where the cancer was, they said there was a 70% chance it would come back. And then in two to three years, I'd be dead. No cure, no nothing. So I didn't believe that they were right. I knew in my gut from a precognitive experience I'd had a year before 
that there was a major illness coming, but I would be okay. That's not what I was told by three oncologists until I found one that told me what I wanted to hear, <laughs> which was, no, you know, hey, dude, let's just wait a year and see what happens. You know, the other guys wanted to kind of like rip lymph nodes off me. And it was, it was a mess. You know, cancer is a big business too. So you got to be careful with these guys. Um, but I thought, you know, if they end up being right, what are you going to do with the next two years? Does fame and fortune matter? No. So what matters? So what mattered was my dog, Bosco, my music, and my art. And I was living in Kansas at the time. And I said, I'm getting the hell out of here and I'm going to go figure out a way to live in Southern California and be a bohemian artist and just live whatever I have left of my life uh, the way I want to do it. And I, I don't care about my stock portfolio. I don't care about any of that shit because if I'm going to be dead, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. It's over, right? It's over. So I want to know if I'm, if I'm, I don't know what the hell I was doing here on the planet to start with, but now if I'm going to die, which we all will, what's going to happen to me then? So that created this big kind of spiritual search. And then I didn't die. The cancer never came back. And I really liked living this way. And I said, hey, I'm going to keep doing it, you know? So I don't have any credit card debt. I live in a really small space happily. I'm a minimalist. Um, you know, I spend money on dulcimers and really good coffee, you know, <laughs> and I make the music I want. And I use my music in my coaching uh, because when you discover what makes you happy and that you can live an authentic life and do what you love and make a living at it and make a life at it, why would you go back to being stressed out and miserable? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And not to completely derail this, but you mentioned your dog's name, Bosco. Was the dog, was it named Bosco before you got him or did you name him Bosco? No, you know what happened? Um, my partner and I had split up and we had two dogs we were sharing mm -hmm. and I just wanted a dog. I mean, that was a year, in that one year we broke up, a small retail store I started almost bankrupted me and my dad, who was my closest friend, died. So it was a, it was a shit year. So I wanted a dog, you know? So I went to a store and I almost bought this dog, uh, but uh, someone bought him kind of un underneath, you know, from behind <laughs> on a credit card. And I was walking on Christmas Eve through the little town that I lived in, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I walked into a puppy store. And a few days before I had a precognitive experience of seeing this kind of little dog, I didn't know what kind it was, running towards me from far away, like it hadn't seen me forever and it just jumped up in my arms and there was this lick lick fest began you know and when I walked in and I saw this little miniature dachshund in this little puppy store I said oh my god that's my dog and he was expensive uh, at the time I was almost bankrupt but my store had been robbed <laughs> the, the idiot thieves robbed a store that was not doing well so they stole my register which had no money in it but I got an insurance check for the register. And since I wasn't going to reopen the store, I, that's what paid for Bosco. And he became like, <laughs> he became my soulmate. You know, he, he's, he's just a great dog. Everyone loves Bosco. He's a little miniature dapple dachshund. He's about 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. You, know, you see the book, right? In, in the book. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. 
No, I, I just curious because I'm I'm a Seinfeld fan, and there's an episode where George's password is Bosco for the chocolate milk, and yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where the name came from, not Seinfeld, but I always like Bosco chocolate milk. Yeah, that was that was, that was that's where I was really waiting. I was like, is this is this a thing? Is that <laughs> people using Bosco's for passwords and dogs' names? I love it though. It's nice. <laughs> so. Sorry, to go back now, because I like to talk in a thousand different directions all at the same time. You had mentioned coaching and helping other people. So what kind of life coaching then are you doing? Well, what happened is someone suggested that I become a life coach, and I didn't know what that was. So I Googled it, and I said, there's no way in hell I'm, these people are crazy. (laughs) You know, what makes these people life coaches? And so I told him, I said, I'm not a life coach. And he said, yes, you are, because you've just come through a near-death experience. I mean, you, you literally almost died. And you got your shit together, and you worked it out, and you figured it out. Mm-hmm. Teach people what you did. And I said, well, then I'd have to give up the music. And he said, no, man. He said, the way you play dulcimer is so meditative. It's like dulcimer meditation. And then a bell went off in my head, because I knew I had a lot of dulcimer fans on Facebook, and people had bought my record albums through the years. And so I talked to a professional coach about the business and he was telling me the ins and outs. And then I thought, you know, there's no way I can really afford to get this thing going. Uh, I was, you know, barely surviving in California, not a cheap place to live. But then COVID happened and the state of California paid my rent and they gave me money and I got food. And so they literally paid me to start over again. And that's what I did. I, I got an idea of, well, what did I do to get my life together? And I wrote it down and I figured it out. And then I went on the Dulcimer Facebook sites and said, hey, if you're feeling stressed or crazy and, you know, want to feel better, um, hit me up. And of course, COVID had just started. So everybody felt crazy and nuts. Sure. And I got my first two clients and I didn't know if I would be good at it. But I was amazed at how their lives changed for the better within like a month or two. And, um, uh, it, you know, it, it was unbelievable. And I loved doing it because I saw their transformation. And it reconfirmed that, yeah, I, I did the right thing and I've made the right moves. And this is, this is my calling. And I'll tell you something. I Actually, I didn't put in the book or tell many people, but about two years after I was here and I hadn't gotten cancer, I hadn't come back, I was at a stoplight and I thought, why did you survive? How did you, you know, like, why did you get lucky like that? And what came immediately was to do the work you're doing, to give up the Kevin Roth performing career and teach people a little bit about spirituality, a little bit about how to integrate that into the relative world and, you know, um, find a good beat that you can dance to and live that way. Nice. Do you do other modalities other than like meditation music, such as yoga or anything else with your coaching? Or is it just kind of like life coaching with meditation and music? Yeah. So I don't usually use the meditation music. I show people how to do it for themselves. I teach dulcy meditation. I have a recordings out on it. And in the YouTube videos, and I've just started to make their, each video, which is short, ends with a dulcet meditation. But my conversations with my client is about where they're at. So I meet them where they're at, and we talk about their lives and the directions that they're going in. Um, I'm kind of a, a, a weird kind of spiritual guy. <laughs> I don't meditate. I don't do yoga. You know, uh, I'm, I'm 
pretty average kind of guy uh, in, in the sense of uh, I look normal. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really that normal. Uh, but I, I'm not like, uh, you know, I don't have pictures of gurus on my wall and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you lived inside my head, I mean, there isn't like a drug you could take, a psychedelic drug that could beat what's going on. <laughs> Naturally, you know? <laughs> so for the people that you're helping with this, what are kind of like the main issues that you see that you're like, oh yeah, like I can absolutely speak this and help you get through that? A lot of the people that come to me either come with anger or stress or fear. So either they've lost uh, a, a, their husband or they're in a, a toxic relationship and they're just pissed off and they don't see any way out of their job, out of their life. And I have a lot of people who are now coming to me who are spiritually kind of just confused. You know, um, some are Jesus people, some are Buddhists, some are, you know, all kinds. And I, I, I work with wherever, whatever they come to me with. So I, my specialty, I think, is in being intuitive enough to look at them over Zoom and hear what they're saying, but also read their face and see what they're saying, because they're, they're, they're two different things. And a lot of times they're telling me one thing, but their face is telling me something else. So I dig in a little deeper and I say, do you really think that X is true? And then they'll say, no, I guess not. And then we examine that and, uh, you know, uh, go from there. But the, the wonderful thing about doing things over Zoom is you can see their face change by the end of the session, like they feel happier and like more put together, which is very nice. Oh, that's awesome. So I know that your book, and I've, I've read a good portion of it, um, you touch on these different like life lessons and like practicalities and things of that nature within that. What's, what's the name of your book for everyone who's listening? Between the Notes, Practical Ways to Find Your Inner Groove and Dance to a Beat that Makes Your Heart Sing. That's a subtitle. Love it. Is it Between the Notes or Between Notes? Between the Notes. Between the Notes. Excellent. And for everyone who's listening, like, you know, this could be something I could use, right? Like I have these personal struggles, right? I, you know, am angry or have fear issues of whether it's abandonment or commitment or whatever it is that they're struggling with, where can they go to find you? Well, they can get the book on Amazon. It also comes with a music CD that you can also download, I guess, from iTunes or Amazon. And then it's, it'll, it's on Audible and all those things. Or they could go just to my website where you can find everything. And that's kevinroth.org. Okay. And you said you have a YouTube channel where you're putting these out as well. So people who want to have, you know, minimal investment and kind of be lurkers and check you out on the down low. What's your YouTube channel's name? I think it's just Kevin Roth. Kevin Roth. Okay. Yeah. I'm the guy with the dulcimer. Um, <laughs> in, in, the book, <laughs> in the book, you know, I talk about my own journey, but I give 11 essential questions for people to ask themselves. And I give practical advice on what to do if you're feeling, you know, sluggish or moody or anything. And, and there are very practical things to do. Everything from change your diet to go hiking um, to meditation, uh, but how to keep your life in balance, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. Awesome. 
And for a teaser for everyone who's like, hmm, should I read this book? There's a story in there where the hospital pronounces Kevin dead. And then he's talking to people about 20 minutes later. So that's, that's your <laughs> teaser. <It's... laughs> I, I missed that chapter. I got to go back and read that one. <laughs> well, I don't want to give a spoiler away, but I'm, after we push a card, I'll, I'll flag your memory because you had one of those uh, premonitions as well and talk about it in there. And they got some phone calls. If that's, oh, if, that's okay. if you're remembering, I'm, I'm starting to remember. Yes, yes. It's been a while since I've written a book, but yes, even though the book just came out. Yes. Awesome. Well, Kevin, before we close out, is there anything that you wish I had asked you or that you want to revisit or something you want to leave with before we close out? Well, I guess the advice that we give people in this kind of stressed out, crazy world is that you can be happy. And it doesn't usually take much. It's just kind of, I, you know, I, I think of life as like tuning a guitar, you know, the weather and different things, put it out of tune slightly. As long as you just every day kind of slightly retune it, it's easy to get it in tune. But if you leave it alone in its case, you know, through the weather changes and such, it's going to be really out of tune. So what I try and teach people is how to tune the guitar. And then every day, very subtly, just retune yourself. And then you, you're, you're pretty happy. You know, you, you can get through just about anything. Awesome, love that. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much for being on the show and everyone else, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Subject Change. Please like, subscribe, leave a review of our podcast. And if you have any questions, if there's a business you would like to see featured on our podcast or a niche or something you want to learn about, drop us a message or an email and let us know. Be happy to, to interview someone and answer those questions. Thanks again for listening.